outside the box of religious obligation lies a road less travelled into the heart of the Father's affection. Slinging freedom all over the place, this is the God Journey. Welcome back to the God Journey, and Kyle Rice has moved a few hundred miles from where he last recorded to Sheridan, Wyoming. How is it up there? It has been going really well. I... There is something about waking up in the morning and walking out my front door and just seeing mountains that does my heart really, really good. It's like my mountain here. It's not as big as your mountain, but man, I love walking out every day and seeing my mountain here. It's wonderful, right? It just does something for the heart. When you walk outside and there's just this majestic backdrop, it, man, it just, there's something about that that wakes up my heart every, every single day in a really cool way. So what's it like being back on a college campus? Oh man, it is, it's been so good just being back on the college campus and the vibrance of it and getting to connect with young people. And I mean, it's, it's the first week. So student, it's the first Monday that we've had students and it, you know, there's all of the jitters, all the anxiety, all everybody coming back together and enjoying seeing each other. It's, it's been awesome. I actually got to go and help some students move in on Friday because being a former residence life director, that's what we did at the school that I used to work at. I would just invite any staff or you know um, faculty to come and get to know the students, help them move in. And they didn't do any of that here at this school. None of the staff or anything like that participated, but I had a blast just going to get to connect with students and helping them haul their stuff in and just kind of ease into what for a lot of them is a major life change as they go into the adulting process. And it, for me, that's, I love being in this environment. Oh my goodness. And being a teacher in a classroom, that's new. It is new. Unfortunately, this semester I'm primarily online. I only have three classes or I have three classes online and one class in person. So that's not my ideal structure, but this program that I took over has been been taught by adjunct professors for the last two years. So it's been almost entirely online. So we're going to have to make that transition. But thankfully, I'll be back in the classroom with students in the spring and can't wait either way. Oh, good. And your family's kind of getting settled in the new digs and slowly but surely. So they're they're working their way in where the house is kind of getting settled. But oh, my gosh, the girls have been absolutely loving it. And they, you know, there's we're on six acres and there's lots of places for the girls to go and play. And there's, you know, a, a big barn with an attic that with ladders that they can climb up into and trampolines and all the fun things. So they are starting to explore and enjoy. Joe, how's your health insurance? Pretty good. Oh gosh. It's yeah. It's kids really climbing good. up ladders and jumping on trampolines and make sure you're covered, dude. <laughs> it's a very, Oh my God. It's, yeah, that's that's one of the really nice perks of being back in the college world, especially in Wyoming. Uh, they put twenty four thousand dollars a year towards our healthcare premium, so it's a it's a nice little benefits package that I they have on there. That's great. Well, he's Kyle Rice. I'm Wayne Jacobson. This is the God Journey, and welcome back. Uh, I've become quite the little white rainbow hunter since I last spoke to you. The white rainbow hunter. What does that even mean? You remember we talked about a white rainbow I saw out here one day? Yeah. A completely uh -huh. white, no color to it, just a white rainbow. Yeah. I see them frequently now. And I don't mean the full really? rainbow because that's pretty rare. But okay. for, for most of my life, I grew up in a foggy environment, uh, Central Valley, California. This has got a lot of fog down here. June, gloom, May, gray. I don't know what they call it in August, but uh, we'll get something. 
Uh, and now I know I'm going walking out. Sun's just coming up behind me, a little light fog in the air, and I know where to look right there and right there to see the ends of the rainbow. And I, I realize, really? yes, I realize that as a young kid walking, I've noticed, why is there light? There's a couple patches of brighter fog than the rest of the fog, and I've never known why. Now I can see, I know it's 42 degrees off my starboard and so many degrees off my port and I can look up and it's just, I, every time I go out there, it's weird because I see a little fog in the air and the sun's not up yet. And I'm going, oh, this is good, cool. I'm going to look for me a white rainbow. And I call them out. Sarah's looking at them. And you know, I've only seen once the full rainbow, but you can okay. see where it's starting on either side if the fog were higher and the fog doesn't always oh, go that interesting. So. And when I've been doing this, this is what's been weird. I'm going, this is what it's like in my relationship with Jesus. It really is. There are certain conditions that just seem like, okay, now I know where to look for him. There, there. And just picking up those fingerprints, handprints, and just having that sense. I often have a sense, like even a few moments before Jesus shows me something, I have a sense that something's coming. And I've realized this is a really kind of a little parable of how Jesus and I have engaged this friendship together. Hmm. Where I look for him and, you know, a little fog helps, a little sunlight helps. And I, I don't know. It's been kind of a, Sarah and I have been having some fun with it, just talking about how if you don't know what you're looking for, you would miss it. I've missed that for years. Mm, These two white yeah. little, because I've, I've, I've seen this a lot. And I've always said, why is the fog different there than it is right there? Mm -hmm. And now I know, and now that I'm tuned to it, it's like, I can't, I can't miss it now. I'm not even, I look out and go, oh, it's, there must, then I look over there and go, yep, there it is. And that's how my life in Jesus is becoming. I mean, that's how it's always been. That's, mm -hmm. that's really a good word. I don't control when it happens, when he speaks. I yeah. don't control any of that. Just when revelation comes or some insight or whatever, it just pops in, but it's just knowing where to look inside your heart mm. is the same as knowing where to look. You got to have the sun behind you when you're looking at rainbows, you've got left and right, you've got to have a little light, you got to have all these conditions. And I don't know, I've, I've really drawn this analogy to how God speaks to my heart. So it's been really fun. I love that. And I, I think that that Man, when you when you think about the the connection and like you said the the different elements, you start to recognize these things, these conditions, these spaces, and you're like, oh wait a minute, this is this is kind of familiar. Like I need to have my head on a swivel here because I've seen him show up in this way, or this feels very familiar. And yeah. okay, Father, where are you at, or where are you moving here? And that. I love that illustration. It's like the Celtic call that thin space, where you kind of yes. recognize that something is different in a wonderful way before you even see what it is. It kind of, yes. yeah. And I find that's how God often settles in my heart, things he's wanting me to know mm -hmm. or see or encourage me, wants to give me or whatever. So having mm -hmm. fun. I'm the white rainbow hunter now. I'm going to give me a t-shirt one of these days, white <laughs> rainbow hunter. Uh, maybe Arnita could make one for you. Oh, she's uh, she's good at the t-shirt thing. So maybe we'll say. There you go. Or Mike sent me one last time. We did that thing about uh, love is just a word until somebody comes along and shows you what it means. Mm. He made me a sweatshirt like that too, which we're getting ready to take on the road with us. We're kind of packing stuff for cooler days because Sarah and I next week are going to hop in the RV and we're going to head out to Denver to visit our boy. And I already got a number of people want to connect in Denver while I'm in the area. Nice. 
And then we're going to head east from there, probably into Kansas and Missouri and Illinois. And part of the trip's going to be presidential libraries. We're actually going to go to okay. Eisenhower, Truman, Lincoln, Clinton, Bush. You know, we're just going to visit some presidential libraries because Sarah and I always enjoy that. Okay. And then the other thing, we'll see who got what connections God has for us as we move through Wichita and Kansas City, uh, St. Louis be in that area, and then probably down Little Rock points into then East Texas, down to Austin, San Antonio. And then somewhere from there, make ourselves make our way back home somewhere late in October. Nice. We're getting excited. The house finally got done, so we don't have to worry about all that. There's just a little pickup okay. stuff going on now. And, but we really are enjoying the home. And they'll go, okay, we got it all done, so we can leave. <laughs> I got to tell you this. It was easier leaving last time when we just had the apartment and the RV. <laughs> yeah, I bet. And it wasn't easy to come back to an apartment. This, this now, it's not easy to leave. This is really yeah. a beautiful space. And we are really enjoying the gardens that are taking shape. And so we're enjoying all that, but it'll be there to come back to when we get done. I was going to say, that's a, a good pull back. You know, it's, it's an anchoring point again that you can come back to and be really excited about. And I mean, both you and Sarah are really in the process of making a lot of new memories in this space. I mean, very much redefining it in some really cool ways. Yeah. We got a lot of invites to come to New England and Florida and East Coast stuff. And we're going, okay, I think said, Sarah, why don't, you, why don't we go for through just the winter? We'll go to the East Coast, work our way down like Florida, Georgia, be there for the winter and then kind of, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> we are not. So tell me a little bit more about the retreat that you're planning on doing. That's outside of Little Rock, Arkansas, correct? And I'm sure what that is. We're going to be on somebody's property and hanging out. And I don't think the details for that have fleshed up together. People want to know the Livestream blog has a list of dates of where we're going to be. And they're flexible dates. I got to tell you, we're on an RV, so you don't know where it breaks down or something comes up and you have to push things back. So these are kind of intended dates. Not as precise okay. as air travel. That's what I know. So we're going to uh, see what that is. And basically, it's just having conversations that matter with people who care. And some of those, I don't think I'm doing like teaching sessions. Mostly it's just will be in a conversation mm -hmm. with people, maybe two people, maybe 55, 60 people. I have no idea. Yeah. So, so we haven't really planned a retreat. We've been doing that in Wichita, Little Rock, and at least Austin. We're having bigger gatherings. But Mm -hmm. If people in Kansas City or St. Louis want to host something, uh, happy to come there and see what God orchestrates for us. Awesome. It'll be interesting to see what it looks like for you guys on this next road trip, right? Because the last one you went on, it was kind of this blend of healing, taking a deep breath, just reconnecting together as a couple while connecting with other people. And now you guys are over a year through it and in... I would say a, a different space relationally for both of you and individually. And now you're on another, another tour together, which, you know, having Sarah alongside of you and doing that whole experience together again. Having the dogs with us. And yeah, I don't really know what it's going to be like because we're still connecting and we're still healing. We're still yeah. going through some wonderful stuff together, Sarah and me. So we're, we're going to see what, the, we're not trying to make it like the last one. Last time we chased fall mm -hmm. color and with the different groups of people. Uh, so I don't know. Some of these people that we're going to be with, Arkansas, brand new folks in our lives. And some, okay. of the folk, some of the folks in Austin, brand new people in our lives who've asked us to come. Wichita is very familiar. A lot of people we know there that we've been with before. So one day at a time, we'll wake up. What's God got for us today? And just kind of move through that and keep the RV moving east until somewhere about Little Rock. And then we'll turn around and head home. Okay. And white rainbow hunting in the midst of it, right? 
I'm not expecting much fog in the middle part of the country this time of year. So I doubt we'll do much of that. We're going we're gonna to do some Jesus hunting, though. See what hey, he's yeah, doing, where his fingerprints implying. are. So you got a best thing you heard this week. I do. However, it's not necessarily a herd. So my daughter, Evie, our youngest, she has had, especially early on, she had some motor development delays to where mm-hmm. she wasn't moving around like she was yeah. supposed to and some rolling issues and crawling issues and that kind of thing. Well, today I swung by our house to, I needed to pick up something and change really quick and swung by the house. And my wife was like, Evie, go see your daddy. And she walked to me. First time I've ever seen her do it. She walked to me from the kitchen to the doorway and gave me a huge hug. Oh my God. I've seen her take a couple steps, you know, that kind of thing by herself. But it was, oh man, Wayne, it was just like, huge huge heart to have her in physical therapy you know for the last several months and really be trying to get help her overcome some of these movement milestones and to have her come and like you know in kind of the toddler drunkard stumbling (laughs) i don't know my drunkard Drunkard? wow it's your daughter (laughs) i hear you like totally cruise up to me and give me a hug and then walk back to her mom was absolutely amazing. That was the best thing I've experienced today. Yeah, best thing I've seen then. That's good. Yes. Yeah. What about you? Man, this is the most shocking thing I've read in a long time. And okay. this is from Russell Moore, used to be the big uh, Southern Baptist uh, her- heresy hunter for the Southern Baptist thing. But through some of the sexual abuse stuff and some of the way they treated Beth Moore or whatever, he's kind of moved away from the Southern Baptists. He's now a president mm-hmm. or something, CT, Christianity Today. NPR okay. interview, recently, somebody sent me this. He was talking about his concern about Christianity in crisis. And he said, they were asking him, you know, why do you think it's in crisis? And he was sharing the story. He said, because I hear this same story, he said, weekly from pastors. They're teaching through something like say, the Sermon on the Mount, and where Jesus talks about turning the other cheek. And they say, someone in the congregation will come up to him afterwards and say, where did you get those liberal talking points? And uh, he said, what was alarming to me is that in most of these scenarios, when the pastor would say, I'm literally quoting Jesus Christ, the response would not be, oh, I apologize. The response would be, yes, but that doesn't work anymore. That's weak. And this is the quote. And when you get to the point where the teachings of Jesus himself are seen as subversive to his followers, then we're in a crisis. Mm. Man, I so love that. Yeah. As much as I enjoy my neighborhood and there's a lot of good stuff going on here, I was walking today and I saw somebody's bumper sticker on the, or no, license plate frame said, bring back public hangings. (laughs) Okay, I know what? what's going on in that house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a big uh, bumper sticker out here among the uh, more conservative right religious crowd. Yeah, a little violence will never hurt uh, sin in the world, I guess. I don't know. But, man, when you think the words of Jesus are subversive to your way of seeing the kingdom, <laughs> you, you've got to know it's not, not Jesus that's moved. It's you that's moved. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I knew this guy. I mean, wow. I, I worked in a, a negotiation with him probably 15 years ago in in Nashville, and uh, mm-hmm. he was he was everything you expect a Southern Baptist heresy hunter to be. Mm. And now, man, I, I read some of his columns and some of his articles. There's been a I don't know the story yet for how, what transitioned in this man, 
Yeah. But something beautiful has really happened because he's not the guy I met 15 years ago. And so I, I just, I found, I, somebody sent me the quote, I'm going, okay, are you sure that's from this guy? I, I back up and see Because when turn the other cheek is like too weak, we can't do that, man. Jesus, yeah, Jesus might have meant it back then, but it wouldn't work today. Uh, then you got to hmm. stop and think, maybe, maybe we've gone slightly askew. That honestly leads me to an interesting conversation that I got into last week where I, or it would have been two weeks ago now that I was talking with a friend of mine and they made the comment, have you ever looked at the brand of Christianity through the lens of addiction? And I was like, whoa, wait, hold on a second. Okay. Unpack that for me a little bit. And so we, we started talking about that and the, the detox process the the deconstruction the level of dependency it, it showed all the signs of of addiction that you would normally see in other people as they are detoxing from a substance and it Wayne I've been mulling that over for the last two weeks after we've been talking about that or after I talked about that with this individual about the the level of commitment and connection and disruption that our adherence to the religion or the brand of Christianity has and, and what it looks like as you are coming out from underneath that, the deconstruction process, it has all the same tendencies as somebody who's going through a detox process. Yes, what, do, what do you think when I tell you that? Oh, I've heard that before. I've had this conversation with people because it reflects really? honestly. Yeah, the, the level of dependency, even just stepping away from a Sunday morning gathering, when someone's actually made the choice to do that, the drawback to it, the feeling like something's wrong, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be in trouble if I'm not there, the, the, the compulsion to re-engage. We, we had the first uh, He Loves Me book discussion on Sunday afternoon. Mm -hmm. And one of the things those first chapters kind of confront is why is the draw to religious performance more compelling than the joy of living in Christ's freedom. Even as we begin to get a taste of freedom, there's that pull back in, you know, I should yes. be doing something more. I, and it's, it's, it is just like an addiction. And I honestly think that when we talk about sin, that like sin is trauma and all that stuff, I, I think what, when we look at the world's sins and we mm -hmm. can condemn those, but we don't look at our own, that own compulsion, religious arrogance we've talked about before, those yeah. things that have become, it's just another way we satiate our hungry souls apart from a living relationship with Jesus. So religion, yeah, does become a substitute for all of that. But it's a it's a cleaner looking substitute, right? See, and that's the hard part, is it? I think that's why it's such a dangerous drug or a dangerous addiction is that it, it brands itself. It comes in the quote unquote image of of life of wholehearted living of of freedom of kingdom and yet when you see the fruit of it when you see the results of it and when you see the process of somebody trying to step away from it trying to challenge it trying to ask a question of it man it is it is brutal it fights back hard and i was talking to this person about the uh the law of diminishing returns and how, you know, you first have this like incredible encounter, right? With the heart of Christ. And mm -hmm. you're like, man, that was amazing. Like 
How do I reconnect with that? Where do I engage with that? I want, that's the kind of life that I want. And so then you go to a, a Sunday morning gathering experience and they have amped up music and you have an emotional response. You're like, oh, wait, there it is. I found it again. Like I, I connected with it again. But then all of a sudden you're having to serve more now instead of just on Sundays, you're there Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday afternoon, you know. Worship practice, chair set up. Yeah, children's yeah. ministry planning. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yet, and the more and the more that you get immersed in it, the more that, that feeling of emptiness, loss, of disconnect, of what happened to that life and that freedom and that love that I was connecting with in the early days. Like, what what's going on here? Why is that experience not resonating in my heart anymore? And to be clear, that's not all of Christianity or all Christian groups. No, or no, all no, no, that, no, But, no, but no. the ones where, where we feel like we have gotten obligated beyond our experience of joy and endearment, that, that's what we're talking about. We're in those places yes. where it gets harmful, hurtful, obligated, painful. But it is, like you said, even though we can say, gosh, this isn't always having the best effect on me, even the pride of it's too weak, the words of Jesus, we need something stronger. Even when you get there and you try to pull yourself out of it, and I've had this conversation. It's easy to walk away from it. It's more difficult to get it out of you, to get that whole. Yes. And, and what I mean by it is not Christianity. I mean that legalistic performance base, looking down at the world, that personal exaltation of my faith over the crikey world we live in. Yeah, because that's, I mean, and again, it just, to me, like that, it was so hard because you know, when you think about substances and drugs and, and users and user experience, those, those chemicals are mimicking an experience that the body can normally have, that humanity was normally designed to have. And so, but it's usually a synthetic substitute or an imitation of it. And you think about the same thing with the life of the genuine life of Christ and how so enrapturing, so captivating it is. And then all of a sudden you you're, you start trying some stuff and it might have a little hint of it. It might have some of it sprinkled in, but then it's it's not the real thing. It starts to just, ugh, I don't know, twist you up and mess. I don't know. It was just, I've just been holding that for the last couple of weeks as I've been thinking about that. And it just, man, it really resonated with me for some reason. Yeah, I've had a lot of conversations and religion is trauma kind of thing with the same kind of mm -hmm. PTSD when you get away from a high performance religious environment, religious performance stuff. A lot of people have PTSD reactions because they've been manipulated and, you know, guilted out and shamed and, you know, gone along with the program because of the punishment of not uh, being marginalized in the group, being lied about, gossiped about. I mean, all those settings, they have, not all those settings, but a number of those settings have very limited value in terms of the damage mm -hmm. they cause. And even where there's damage, there's still something about us that gets addicted to the environment and can't imagine yeah. living without it, which is part of the hook, obviously. Yeah. Well, saddest thing yeah. I heard this week. Okay. This is really sad. Um, this is an email. As my husband and I, who've been married for almost 23 years, are struggling through difficulties, I listen attentively to your podcast as you and Sarah work through the struggles of her recalling her previous childhood trauma. I passed one of these podcasts along to my husband to listen to, knowing it wasn't exactly like my trauma, but a trauma experience, but had enough similarities to resonate. And he responded by saying, this man gave up everything for his wife. I will never do that. Now he has filed for a divorce and over the last five months has lied and gone back on his word several times. 
Oh gosh. I, I, I actually talked to this woman a bit cause I, my heart just really goes out to her, her pain to be that vulnerable and to have a husband mm. who says, no, I can't go down that road with you. And mm. interestingly enough, I've had this conversation a number of times with people now having gone through what Sarah and I went through of guys mm. who are really trying to follow that. Okay. It's, and I, to be honest, if one third of women from my generation were sexually assaulted before they were 18, which is the statistic, and we men mess them up, then we men getting to help untangle that in someone is just the most incredible gift in the world, right? It's fair to women. It really is that some man, some male in their life would help pay the price of their trauma. Now, I'm not the one who caused it for my wife. But yeah. you know what? I am honored to be walking in that place with her. I'm, yeah. be, I'm honored to make her trauma our trauma. And now how do we walk through it so that Sarah gets to find a place of real healing? And I find guys who are willing to do that. Man, I get that email too. And I just, I just, I don't know what to do. My, I, and I, got, I got a phone call from someone uh, this weekend that just had, a, you know, resorted to some old trauma patterns in their own life and just exploded on their wife and anger and all that stuff. And just being able to say, you know, what do I do now? Because mm. the wife has walked out and because scared her to death, how do I find my place back in her life again? And I, I gave him a lot of the horse whisper stuff that you don't come barging back in saying, we've got a yeah. commitment. We need you come back. You just say, Hey, I, my bad, horrible stuff. I can never do that to you. Particularly she came from a previously battered relationship. So that triggered a whole lot for her. And I just, I, I think it's wonderful. This, this man was wonderful because he was wanting to, okay, how do I own this? And how do yeah. I, I thought I dealt with this trauma, but obviously not. If it, if the anger as a flashpoint, and then she became the target of an anger she didn't even cause, which, and a lot of that trauma reactions are not always, you know, reasoned out, thoughtful. This is, I'm sure what I want to do. And within 24 hours, you're regretting it all. I love the men I know right now who are paying the price. And I'm, that means often in loneliness, often in mm. rejection, often in I'm going to hold space for a love I may not recover, mm. but I'm going to hold space for it in hopes that a gentler, tenderer me can help my wife find the joy and freedom and safety that she deserves. And so an email like this, I don't, I don't understand the man that just says, I am not going to do it. As I was talking to one of these men today that, I, that is walking this path. And he said to me, this is what Paul meant when he asked, husbands, lay down your lives like Christ laid down his for your wife. Lay down your life for her like Christ for the church. And man, this is the greatest gift you can give someone. And I realize it can work mm -hmm. the other way too. I realize the man can be trauma and the, and the wife is walking in this place. And I want to affirm yeah. that equally as much. It's just more often, the men have caused the trauma in women. Uh, but when it works the other way, I know men who've been deeply traumatized by some kind of interaction in their past, abandonment, uh, sexual abuse, physical abuse, whatever, and their wives are staying with it. I love those conversations, too, because people who are doing that need a, need a ton of encouragement. They really mm. do, to let that kind of unfold in their lives. And I think it's really interesting, too, when when we're asked or when we're walking alongside of somebody that in a lot of regards, we're, we're helping in the process of rewriting 
or recalibrating in that person's mind what it means to be a safe relationship or healthy masculinity. And, and one of the things, especially in the conversation of the guy walking through that with their, with their spouse or their significant other, one of the really intriguing things that I've heard consistently is it takes them back into a conversation of their strength. And so as, as men are trying to sort out and how figuring out how to walk through this with the people that they love and as they are navigating it, it really takes them back into their own story of, well, do I, do I force this into existence? You know, do I power my way through? What does that look like? How, you know, all of these conversations about what does strength look like? What does it mean to, to hold space? What does it mean to have courage? What does it mean to have vulnerability? What does it mean to show up in a bold way when I'm not allowed to show up for them? What does it mean to hold space for their heart? And man, it, it is a, it's this really, it's a very intriguing thing that I'm seeing moving right now in people and couples and communities all over the United States where there's a trauma, whether it be in a husband or a wife or whatever it looks like, a trauma is being presented in the community. People are coming alongside of them and walking with them. And yet both in the people who are navigating and doing the work and the trauma, but also the people who are walking with them, it's this invitation into a much deeper conversation and a much deeper space. Man, it's owning trauma more corporately. Yes. Which, yes. you know, it's easy to say, well, it's not me. I didn't do it. And I, I think there's yeah. something lovely in a, in a living, loved relationship when you move from just me, my needs, what do I need? How do I cope? How do I survive the day? To, you know, I've got enough emotional reserve to say the pain that's in the world around me, I want to carry some of that. I want to carry it for someone else. Not my pain. It's I'm inviting it in, not, not because I have to to get through it. I'm inviting it in because I don't want to see someone I love suffer alone in something so dark and so painful and so endemic to the human race that I can say, well, it didn't happen to me, so I'm all good. Instead yeah. of, oh my gosh, how do we carry the weight of that? How do we hold space for that? Well, even just Sarah's comment from last week about as she's been healing and as there's been that restoration that's been taking place in her heart, that's created the space in the invitation or the space in the energy for her to start asking questions like, what's my purpose? Yeah. You know, that's so because it frees up that space in our heart. It frees up, you know, when, when you're no longer and going back to like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, when yeah. you're no longer in survival mode, when you're no longer needing the very basic core innate things of the human experience, all of a sudden it's opening up conversations to have about life and journey and community and, and relationship that you didn't have the space or the capacity for before. Yeah. And then this is from Jill. So loving this series about sin and trauma. It brought to mind a perspective God gave me during my years as a young widow. Shortly after my husband's tragic death, I was spiritually abused by a church leader that I trusted. Yes, I was vulnerable. And what he did was so wrong. I remember having a conversation with God, thanking him for getting me out of that situation, verbally releasing forgiveness toward the perpetrator, but also saying to God, it shouldn't have happened to me. Very mm. clearly, the Holy Spirit impressed in my heart, that's right, and it shouldn't have happened to him. Mm. And that changed everything. He was a victim as much as me. God has fleshed that out with more understanding in years that followed. Now I can see that compassion took over and genuine forgiveness was a work the Holy Spirit can do. I didn't have to work at it or choose over and over to forgive. 
Oh my gosh, just seeing someone mm. else as a victim of the same thing they're doing to you is wow. uh, is a uh, to me that's love 501. If you're not in that space <laughs> or even having the emotional space to hold pain for others, if you can only hold your own pain right now before God, don't be shamed, condemned or blamed about that. Just don't. Yes. But when yeah. you have margin, when you have space to entertain the pain of others or to the Holy Spirit gives you a perspective that takes you out of, yes, it shouldn't have happened to her. What he did was so, so wrong. But that's, that's the Holy Spirit just saying, yeah, it shouldn't have happened to him either. And oh man, does that mess with your perspective on things? Now let me mess with your perspective on something else. Man, I've been blown away all weekend with this thing. Okay. I, I've got a friend. I've, I've got a friend in Spain. He and his wife, they're in their 70s and 80s. They've worked with abused people for a long time, just loving people out of abusive situations, long before we had some of the tools we have now about trauma and all that stuff. And he talks about in their work, they always, the, the real key thing about abuse, we talked about it before, the lack of agency, the, the real power difference between the perpetrator and the victim. Whether it's employment and they're higher up in the chain, whether it's strength, the male strength over a woman, whether it's age, whether it's whatever, there's a power dynamic that's off. So the the person who is abused, it's it's clearly not their fault. It, it's they they were overmatched in the circumstance they were in and and got hurt. Right. So he says this. He said, I, "God brought him back to the imbalance of power." between Adam and Eve and the serpent in the garden. Hebrews 2 says that he made them a little lower than the angels. So in the garden encounter, there was an imbalance of power. That's abuse, and the result is trauma. It's not something I or we did. It happened to us. And I just, the idea, because I have spent most of my life trailing in the back of my mind, stupid Adam and Eve. They had made the stupid choice in the garden. I have never seen them. Two brand new human creations mm. against one of the most powerful archangels that existed alongside God in the garden. What chance did they have of surviving that encounter? Not co again, not co-conspirators. If this is true, and I'm still, I'm like, it this blew my mind. I'm going, oh my gosh, I can't even blame Adam and Eve anymore. They were overmatched by a angelic an angelic deity. I just, you know, just a snake lying to you. That's how I've seen it. Not, oh my gosh, you were so overmatched, and you succumb to the temptation that you were given. Mm. That's abuse. Then the other part of he points out is always that when someone's abused, they take on the shame or blame. It's not the fault yeah. of the perpetrator. And sometimes the perpetrator is very intentional about putting that on the victim. Yeah, if you hadn't worn that short dress, if you hadn't done this, if you hadn't done that, then I wouldn't have done what I did, or you made me mad, or, you know, and that's how Adam and Eve come out of that encounter shamed and blamed, and they separate themselves from God, not God separated from them. Yeah. So, so now I'm thinking, wow, if this is true, if, this, if we've misinterpreted Genesis 1, I haven't had a chance to kind of probe through the internet, see if anybody else has interpreted Genesis 3 this way. But my goodness, if that's the truth of it, then from the very beginning, Sin is corporate. Trauma is corporate. Our pain mm -hmm. is inside. Not somebody made a bad choice and now we're having to pay the price of it. But man, we were overmatched and God has come alongside his creation 
to redeem us to himself. Uh, without, Which is why Jesus could be with the woman at the well, the woman caught in adultery, Zacchaeus stealing stuff, disciples trying to be first and second in the kingdom. And he didn't offer blame or shame or bad choice language to anybody. He just offered them life and redemption and freedom. And yeah, you don't see this clearly because you got twisted, you mm -hmm. got broken. And no, it's not your fault, but here's redemption available to you. What do you think of that whole thing? I, okay. Ooh. I, that is definitely the first time I ever thought about it through the lens of they went up against one of the top three angels in, in the hierarchy of, you know, that, I mean, yeah, like one of the most powerful angels period that like, yeah. Who's been around for a long time. They're newbies, yeah. right? They're just a little yeah, new creation. Yeah, right, what's going on? And this uh, powerful angelic being shows up. They had no agency. They were overwhelmed. They, we can't blame them anymore. If, they, if this is true, and I'm still yeah. like, I'm holding this out here going, never heard this before. Something about it resonates because I know it changes my heart towards sin mm -hmm. in a way that's more redemptive. And their sin, especially, that any of us in that same situation would have been overmatched. Yeah. We like to say, oh, I wouldn't have done it. God said not either fruit. I would, I just all the arrogance that religious performance brings to us, even our wanting mm -hmm. to have public hangings, even our, our not, not wanting to turn the other cheek. I, I had a fresh take on that before I got this last week. I was talking with someone, and it just we, I was talking about vengeance and fear is the road to delusion. Hmm. We get fearful or we get vengeful. And I've seen this happen with someone I love very deeply whose vengeance in their heart made way for a delusion to enter their soul that absolutely broke them. It, it broke them in a very tragic way. And I may, I may share that wider story someday, but not now, not here. And I was, as I'm thinking about that, and I'm going, okay, so if vengeance was the pathway to that, like, I'm going to give in to my anger, mm. then turning the other cheek is not about don't hurt that guy who hurt you. It's don't go down the road he's on. Yeah. For you. Yeah, for your own safety. And I, that's the first time I'd seen it, though. Don't, because even if the vengeance is deserved, and in this case that I'm referring to, the act of vengeance that they did, the person who was the, who was the victim of that act of vengeance actually deserved it. Actually, what, what was said was true. It wasn't untrue. It was, it had been hurtful and this person was lashing back. But the fact that they went down that road of vengeance mm. opened their heart to delusion in other things. And so that turning the other cheek was, is really Jesus saying to us, not, oh, be better than them. He's saying, just don't go down that road. You, yeah, you can put hurt for hurt, hand, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You can go down the vengeful road. Remind me of Lewis's dream. Do you want vengeance yeah. or do you want justice? Oof. And if you want justice, you've got to let me fight for you. And turning the other cheek is definitely letting God fight for us. And yeah. man, when, when I think of that, how that opens our heart to going, okay, because I've got some things in my life that I could very easily go to anger and vengeance with. And I totter on the edge of it at times. I do. And this new kind of leading of the Holy Spirit in my heart and life right now goes, 
I want to run as far from the vengeance trail mm-hmm. as I can get. I want to go back to what does it mean to lean into love, even when I'm unjustly hurt, even when I'm unjustly accused. Could I fight fire with fire? I can, but what is it going to do mm-hmm. to you? Oh, I just think of even the way, like, for example, you think about fear or anger. And specifically, I think about anger. And when when somebody is angry or when I, I'll put it on my, when I've been angry and there's been like this deep injustice and there's a lot of anger there, my perspective changes. My my view of the details changes. I, you know, the even the scenario, my interpretation of the scenario changes. And it's really intriguing. Like you think about that. It's like, oh man, like what does that do to our perspective of the world and the way that we see the reality and the relationships around us and, and connecting with that and allowing our minds to be set free from the delusion of that. Yeah, I agree. Cause when you get vengeful and you get angry at somebody, even if the root of it could be somewhat justified, yeah. it, it wouldn't be unjustified. But even if the root of it, then you, like you say, you begin to see motives and interpret motives and to just ramp up the anger and the viciousness and then it gets out of sync with what actually happened to you. Mm-hmm. Now, now the vengeance is stronger than the re- initial act would have caused. Yeah. And now you've gone down the road of darkness. And down the road of darkness is where, okay, you can be deluded and you can double down on your delusion. You can be outside the scope of compassion and love. And yeah, it would really make sense then that turning the other cheek might be the way to go. <laughs> That it might be to Adam and Eve to go, okay, I guess I'm done blaming Adam and Eve. Man, they're part of our corporate humanity and our and our unmatched nature of the enemy, which Revelation 12 gets into that. The mm-hmm. enemy comes down to punish the people that God created. Doesn't that blow your mind? Yeah, it does. Like, and I, I just I'm thinking about that. And I I'm thinking about how to so many people I have said, yeah, the enemy does not play fair. He plays dirty. He plays nasty in the ways that he looks to steal, kill, and destroy our lives. And and I've held that space of grace for other people and held that space of contemplation for other people. But then all of a sudden, like you think about that with Adam and Eve, they're new to the human experience. They have very minimal relationships. They're incredibly naive. And then within the first, some of their first experiences of humanity, they're put up against one of the most powerful individuals in in creation, in all of creation. Yes. Oh my gosh, that's not fair. Like, no, it's not fair. That's so dirty. Like that's so messed up. Yes, it shouldn't have happened to them. Oh my gosh. That's crazy. I've shared it with a couple of other people this weekend just walking around. They go, Oh my gosh, that would change everything. I'm going, Yeah, why why were we never taught this? We have never, I don't, I don't ever recall a sermon that talked about the state of imbalance between Lucifer and Adam and Eve. Yes. The freaking power differential. I mean, good grief. Because we want to blame humanity. Religious systems are all about blaming you for making the bad choices you make. It doesn't give them a reinforcement for shame, right? It moves you towards humility. It moves you towards grace. It moves you towards compassion versus... Oh, yeah, that, you know, here are these, quote unquote, two perfect beings that were not tainted, that walked in perfection with God, and they couldn't stand up against it. Well, yeah, (laughs) they have no relational context. They were just learning about what this means to do a relationship in life. And then they're up against one of the most powerful beings ever created. 
These are two little kids on the street with a guy coming up yeah. in his overcoat offering them candy. Come get in the car. And they literally, they had, like, the day before, had been given their first piece of candy. Yeah. You know, and they're like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. You know? Yes, like, oh, my gosh. Ah. Well, go live with that for a few days. Yeah. Interesting to see how you process that out. I'm going to hold that one for a bit. That's crazy. Oof. I hope they're all feeling the same way. We just listened to this thing. People are going, what the heck was that about? Yeah, seriously. Oh, man. Thank you for traveling with us today on The God Journey. You can join this conversation by visiting thegodjourney.com. 